Hey, one more thing before you go. What do you do when two decades into your thriving career, your life comes to a screeching halt? When you become a widow without warning and a sole parent to three young daughters? How do you cope when you're thrown another curveball 18 months later by getting cancer? In this episode, we have a conversation with someone that lived through those chapters in her life and now helps people get to the heart of what truly matters to them. She demonstrates how becoming more of themselves, not less, is exactly what the world needs. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. This is The Thing About Doing What Makes You Happy. My guest in this episode is Lydia Knorr. She worked for more than two decades in the health and wellness industry as a registered dietitian with the greatest part of her career in media. Her personal journey through the sudden loss of her husband and her own health matters shortly thereafter served as an impetus for adopting a holistic approach to well-being that focused on the health of her mind, body, and soul, which I believe in. She transformed her life, and now she helps others transform theirs. Welcome to the show, Lydia. Thank you. So good to be here. That was such a beautiful intro. Thank you, Michael. Well, you have an amazing journey in your life, and you really, really have come through so many chapters in your life that not a lot of other people experience. I mean, sometimes one, sometimes the other, but you've had... Uh, You've had several life's obstacles thrown in your way, but you're here. You look great. You sound great. You're thriving, and and I'm excited about learning more about you. Thank you. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that too. And I don't even think about it too often, um, with respect to having gone through multiple obstacles in life. But you just take one at a time. <laughs> you just deal with one at a time. It's like people say, one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. Just deal with what exactly. you're, what's in front of you right now. Yep. One step at a time, always moving forward. That's that's, it. that's what we're here for. But we always have to keep that in mind. I mean, obviously my listeners don't understand my journey mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's just one step in front of the other. Yeah. So let's learn a little bit more about you. You bet. So, uh, where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in, uh, actually not too far from where I live currently. I'm a pretty local girl. I haven't moved around too much. I grew up in a town called Mississauga, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto. And Currently, I live in Toronto. Everybody in my family is still pretty local to me. Uh, pretty, pretty standard, average, middle class upbringing. You know, intact family to parents of Eastern European descent. Two older sisters. I'm the youngest of three girls. Um, you know, we had a lot of music in our family. My father was a classically trained opera singer, um, not by profession, oh, just by hobby, but you know, so music and that kind of creativity was in our home. It was something I was exposed to. And I'm bringing that up because it really does largely play into what I'm doing right now in my life. I'm not a singer by any means, but, um, but being on the stage, um, in terms of the work I do right now. And I think that probably had some influence without me even knowing it when I was a little girl. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah, and you know, m- music, music resonates with everybody. It's a universal language. Mm-hmm. So even if you did sing, it's okay because it's a universal language. See, everybody across the world can understand the same song and the same meaning, no matter what language it's in. It's pretty That's cool. That's true. That's true. So, did you go to university? I did. I went to university uh, in Toronto, again, locally. And that is where I met my future husband. I studied nutrition. I was a registered dietitian and I practiced in that field for 25 years. And throughout my career, um, I had so many great opportunities. You know, it was so interesting because people think of nutrition as just, you know, what do I eat to make me healthy, to stay lean, you know, you know, sort of on a very basic level, but there's so many aspects and components to nutrition that people don't think about. Um, and you and I spoke before we got on this recording actually about 
my first job as a dietitian, which was in the prison system. People wouldn't think about a dietitian in the prison system, but everybody has to eat and you need systems and procedures and policies in place to make sure that that kind of mass cooking happens safely um, and somewhat healthfully. So, you know, I've had some really neat jobs starting from the prison system to teaching at the university level to working in media. So I've had a lot. And that was, you know, I think that that little glimpse of getting back on a stage, you know, from my love of music as a little girl and getting onto a stage going, "Mm -hmm, there's something in this here that I like. You know, I love the people engagement piece. So that was a little bit of an aha moment for me. And through some pivotal life changes um, and moments in my life, my message changed from nutrition to incorporate a more holistic message, as you um, referred to at the beginning in my intro. Well, you know, it's, can I ask you this? Because Mm -hmm. it's, I've talked to a couple of the dietitians and what, what gets you interested in being a dietitian in particular? I think what gets you interested in any job, Michael, is something that resonates with you personally. So as a young girl, I was always fairly active, but always having to kind of figure out how to manage the weight piece. So there was always some somewhat of an interest in the back of my mind about eating more health healthily to kind of manage, you know, balance out the, the activity and the food intake and all of that. So that was always something that felt interesting to me. Um, and so because it was a personal interest, I thought, well, let's just pursue it. Let's see what it looks like as a career. And I thought that there were probably some pretty good opportunities. I wasn't even thinking about the opportunities that I ended up enjoying. And, you know, and that was a really cool thing because as I was working throughout my career and as I mentioned, teaching at the university level, I remember having conversations with up and coming dietitians saying, these are all the opportunities out there. And it was really eye opening for them because they only thought of a very, you know, sort of linear career path mostly in healthcare, uh, counseling people on, you know, clinical diets. And I said, oh, no, there's, you know, media and there's food service and there's education and there's public health and there's community and there's so many different things you can do in this field. And it was very eye opening for them. So even for myself, but I I felt like I was a little bit of a pioneer in terms of opening up the door to new Mm -hmm. pathways because media, nutrition and media wasn't really a big thing. I'm not going to say I was the first, but um, you know, I was sort of one of the first sort of in the Toronto area to to start working in that arena. And uh, help me understand when you say nutrition and media, I mean, did you work, did you work with film companies? Is that something like that? Or is it something kind of different? Now, what that would essentially look like would be um, PR firms, public relations agencies who would have clients in the food business who would say, we want oh. someone to represent our product or our brand because it has nutrition messaging behind it. And we need somebody who has that credibility, who has that voice and that knowledge, who can be a credible person to stand behind the product. So it would look like that. So there would be TV spots, radio, magazine, whatever, and it would be representing products and brands in the marketplace. No particular way. Now, I'm very high on nutrition. I mean, and because it's helped me to manage my di- my rheumatoid arthritis, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, because I have rheumatoid, severe rheumatoid after uh, my injuries and so forth, I developed it. It helps me to manage my disease. My rheumatologist, um, when I first started seeing this person, twenty wow, twenty two years ago, you know, I brought up diet and nutrition because I I learned it from a, an, an Asian doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't believe it. He says that's got nothing to do with it. It, it won't has everything it won't help to do with it. Yeah, but it has everything to do with it. You know, yeah. and and I stayed on that path. And um, I'm actually I treat my disease with nutrition in lieu of uh, uh, actual medication. Well, so they, they don't call they don't say food is medicine for no reason. And I think more and more and more we're seeing um, 
we're seeing the signs to support that. And we know that food is medicine for, you know, I'm going to say this loosely to help with things right. like mental health, but we certainly know the connection between mental well-being and gut health. And if you can manage your GI, your gut health with your diet, then you're probably going to be in a little bit better of a place mentally too. So there's so many correlations that are still yet to be explored. Um, you know, people want the hardcore facts. And I think there's so much room for exploration and opportunity and looking at other cultures and how they use food to right. treat uh, uh, illnesses and whatnot and learn from those. Yeah, there's lots of opportunity. Many after we might have to have another conversation. Don't I think so. Talk yeah, about that. Okay. That's not why we're here, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so you said you met your husband at university. I did. So my husband, Mike, was studying aerospace engineering. He was actually in his final year of university when I was in my first year. We connected through a mutual friend and, um, you know, it started out just as a friendship. We actually lived in a very similar area of the city. So we would ride the subway home together sometimes, grab coffee, um, just have great conversation. And I thought he was cool. He thought I was cool. And, you know, he went on to the work world and I continued on with my education, but that became, you know, more of a dating situation after that. And we married a year out of my university. I did an internship um, following my four years of university. And after that, we got married. So that would have been 1992. And I went to work in the prison system and he went to work in the aviation industry. And we had a really nice life. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah we did. We did. And, um, you know, what I loved about Mike was that he was very grounded, very hardworking, very, very funny man, just really deferred to humor all the time. So quite quirky. And I was a little bit of a a type, not a type A, maybe I, maybe I've lessened, I'm about a, a B plus now, but I used to be more of a type A type of personality and he could really deflect and, and, you know, sort of, you know, just sort of diffuse a situation that I might not otherwise, you know, whatever. I don't even know what the, what I'm trying to say here, but he would always defer to humor to, you know, just kind of make me see the, the silliness in it all, or, or even in my seriousness, make me see the silliness in my seriousness. So he was a really good yin to my yang. Um, and anyway, so we married and had three beautiful daughters who are now no longer young ladies, or they are young ladies rather at this point. Um, and, uh, had a really nice life. We had a beautiful, beautiful life. And as I said to you, I had this great career that allowed me to explore different areas of the profession and really find my fit. But I remember somewhere in my early forties, um, you know, just feeling restless, thinking, you know, there's more to life and feeling a little guilty, even thinking that in my mind, because I had this great life, great marriage, you know, financially, we were in good place. We had three healthy daughters. You know, we had some, some, you know, great travels and experiences that we'd had as a family, but I felt like there was more that I was meant to be doing from within. There was something that was missing from within. So I call it like, you know, the external things in my life were all amazing, mm -hmm. what we had created. But from somewhere deep within, I knew that there was more I was meant to be doing with my life. And like I said, I had a great marriage. So I would say to my husband, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm not happy on the inside. And he was completely the opposite. He was happy in the moment. And he, he knew who he was and very grounded and centered in himself. And he'd say, just figure it out. And I'm like, okay, but, you know, I will. You know, and I sort of put it down, just pushed it aside a little mm -hmm. bit. I'd had those glimpses in my career of things that excited me with respect to being on the stage, engaging with people. I love teaching. I love mentoring, educating. All of these things were little glimpses for me, which were going to lead me to where I ended up finally. 
But, you know, again, they, they, they didn't feel like they were really checking all the boxes. My husband, on the other hand, as I said, was very, um, very happy, you know, but very, very hardworking. And he left the aviation industry a number of years in to pursue an opportunity um, initially with a family member, with his father, who had a business in um, encryption, data encryption, and further went into a business in the sort of computer telephony software industry. And Mike loved technology. You know, he had the engineering background and he always said if he had an opportunity, he'd go back to school and do an MBA because, you know, to marry the engineering right. and the business was just kind of a, a great marriage for him. So he was working in this industry and got involved in um, being a shareholder in a company, which afforded him an opportunity to, to get out at one point, put a little bit of money aside and go back to school and do an MBA. And this is all while we have kids now, right? So we've got right. this really young family. He's in school. I'm trying to manage working part-time. And it was busy, right? It was very, very busy, but it was okay. It was sort of an investment into the future. So he does his MBA. He gets a job and um, he's climbing his way up the job, you know, and he's got a really high position, but the job is requiring a lot of travel now. So we're talking, we're 20 years into our marriage and he's tired. I can see that he's really, really, really tired. And we had this check-in point all the time, Michael, we'd say, are you happy? Because if you're not happy, we can make changes here, right? We're good. All of this, those four walls, all those things that we've created, we don't have to have any of this if it if it's at the risk of your happiness or your health. So that was always our check-in we had great communication. We always took the time to sit down and say, you know, let's just do a check-in. In fact, and I just want to sidebar this conversation for other listeners, and I know it's not really what the topic of what we're talking about today is, but I always say this to people. It's so important to have those check-ins with your partner and making sure that that everything is harmonious. And we naturally do this in our lives, creating a family and, and a life where we just lose track of each other sometimes. We made a really conscious decision in our marriage to give each other that time all the time. So even when the kids were small, I'd cook an early meal for them or on a Saturday morning, I'd put a movie on and I'd say, okay, I'm going to shut the doors here to this room. You watch TV right now, unless somebody's on fire, don't bug us because we're talking right now. This is our time. And we always made it known that our relationship was really important and we'd make that time for each other or have those date nights. And even if those date nights were in the home, we made sure. And I think that really kept the relationship on solid footing especially later on as he was traveling a lot in business, because, you know, mm -hmm. we always had that communication was always really important in our relationship. So we made sure to always check in anyway. So that was a bit of a sidebar, but it's leading up to where I'm going. So traveling a lot, I can see the fatigue setting in. I'm checking in saying, are you okay? You know, you're exhausted. I can see it. And he's like, no, I'm good. This is a grind right now, but I love what I'm doing. I'm okay. So I drop him off one Sunday at the airport. He's heading to China for a business trip, five days, five day whirlwind trip. And I'm like, this is insane. Flying to Beijing, laying over for a few hours, flying to, I don't even remember the name of the other part of China where he was visiting, but it was too much. And I knew he didn't sleep well on his travels, whether he was in flight or in a hotel. And I just, you know, my heart was so heavy when I said goodbye. I thought there he goes on another trip that he just doesn't have the energy for. I remember watching him in my rear view walk away, Michael, and that was exactly what was going through my mind. And three days later, I got a phone call at three o'clock in the morning, and it was his boss on the caller ID. And he said, Lydia, we don't know what happened, but Mike is dead. And I just, what are you going to say? I kind of saw it coming. Life-changing phone call. Yeah. But at the same time, 
I kind of saw it coming because I had seen the lead up and I'd seen how tired he was and I had expressed my concern. And I mean, to this day, I never got a conclusive report from the coroner. She couldn't give me a reason for his death because everything was intact. And I think he died because he was just exhausted. And he died in China. He died in China. You know, it. I think I find it unique that you had that kind of a connection with him prior to him even leaving because you felt it. And that shows a soul connection. 100%. I mean, and that's where that's um, that's why I do what I do now. But please go on because it's right. You're picking up on something that's very critical here in, in the journey and yeah. in the relationship. Mm -hmm. I've. I've unfortunately delivered many of those messages in my previous profession in mm -hmm. regard to people losing somebody unexpectedly. And it's, it's always um, an abrupt shock to the system. And it's always something that uh, they, they don't understand it. You were lucky. When I say this, I'm using that term mm -hmm. in, in, a dear, in a dear way, not, not, a, not in a wrong way. You were lucky enough to understand you had that feeling, yeah. and that feeling was a connection to him, and that connection ran deep enough that you understood it, you know, from that perspective. What was your next step? So, you know, it's three in the morning, and I'm a very rational woman, and there's no point in waking my children up at three in the morning or phoning his mother or phoning anybody because the reality is it's not going to change what's happened. So I sit with what I've just learned. And your point about the connection is really spot on because I felt such a connection to him. I'm not gonna go so far as to say that I could feel his transition, but I almost feel like I could. I could feel the angst and what he might've experienced as he was transitioning. And I just felt such a closeness to him. And I felt such an immense love and gratitude and I wasn't in shock. And I remember thinking like, wow, a couple months ago, I was just having this conversation with my husband about something's missing for me, you know, something within I need, you know, there's something more I'm searching for. And so that to me was a bit of a, a bit of a cup, half empty attitude that I had given that I had this great life. But now my cup is sort of running over. And I'm thinking to myself, something bigger is at work in your life here, because you are filled with so much love and gratitude. And you're just feeling such a connection to your partner. So I just crawled over to his side of the bed and I wrapped myself and I just embraced myself and everything I was feeling. And I was so aware that there's something bigger at work in your life here, whether it's his energy that's with you right now or something bigger. Um, but I wanted to hang on to that. And I knew that was just this, that was my awakening. When you say you have an awakening, a spiritual awakening, it's like his passing was my immediate spiritual awakening. So to say, as you did earlier, that there was a soul connection between us, without a doubt. And there is to this day. And it's why I do what I do. That's an amazing, that's an amazing opportunity. It's an amazing mm -hmm. gift, actually, I think. Um, not many people get that gift. So, and I can see it in your face. Our, the, our listeners can't, but I can. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your face. I can see it in your smile mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. when you talk about it. Yeah. So grateful. Really. It's just, um, yeah, it's so, it's, it's, it's so enlightening. And, and so I'm sure you have another question, but just to finish off that point I'm trying to make is a lot of people will say, especially when you go through a grief journey and then subsequent things that I've had to deal with since that have all been learning opportunities and more opportunities for me to awaken the spirit within when people will say, but, but 
you would turn the clock back, right? In a second. And I'm like, no, because the amount of personal growth and, and learning and awareness and knowingness that I've come to know of myself through this, all of these experiences is so beautiful. Now, why would I turn the clock back? You know, it, it's, I, I like your term, a spiritual awakening, because it, sometimes when people hear that, they think of one thing, but in reality, a spiritual awakening is being more aware, in my opinion, because I had to go through the same thing because of, of my journey in itself. It, it's, a, it's a realization of what really is life is all about. It's a realization of there's more than just these four walls. There is more to life than going to work. I'm not telling people to stop working. <laughs> going to work, <laughs> you know, the grind and that you need to, the cliche, stop and smell the roses, it, it, it has meaning that you really need to really take a better hard look at, at at what it was around you and what you experience and how you feel things and, and and learn to be grateful for what you do have. Because I've said it before, but I want to say it again. You know, last year was a blessing in disguise in some yeah. respects mm -hmm. because it gave people the understanding that life can change in an instant and that life is more important than, than trivial things. The little things do matter. And that you need to appreciate what you have and be grateful for the people you have in your life that, and what you have around you, which includes the trees and the birds and the, the blue sky and, you know, the rain and things like that. So not, not, not to cut off on that, but. You, well, as you say, your listeners can't see me, but you, you see me, I'm nodding, right? Because I'm 100% on Absolutely. your page. And, and I think you said a couple of things that. I want to tease out again. It's the small things. I think the most profound moments are the really small ones. Those are the big ahas. Those are the big awakenings. So, you know, mm -hmm. for me to feel that gratitude and that love, I knew there was something bigger at work in my life. So now I'm saying to myself, okay, also again, that very pragmatic, realistic side of me knows that it's going to be a hell of a journey. It's going to be a long road. Um, the first few weeks were a blur because I had a revolving door of people in my home and I had so much outpouring of love and so much support, but I was very real to the fact that this, this has a life of its own and it will end. So what will life look like moving forward when it's just myself and my kids? So I wanted to hang on to those early moments of what I felt. And I started doing things to allow me to do that. And as you say, nature was one of them. Uh, it was huge. And that was probably my saving grace, spending time in nature. And my biggest awakening was, and this is how life is full circle. I just, I love this. I hope I, I do justice to this story. But my husband used to always say to me, just do what makes you happy. And he'd also say, just, just stop searching so hard and enjoy the moment. He was so good at being present. And I remember months after he died and I was, nature became my daily go-to journaling and meditation, but nature especially. And I remember one day I was sitting at the lake and I just got lost watching the water. And all of a sudden I, I sort of shook myself awake from my moment. And I went, oh my goodness, I wasn't thinking about my past, which I've been so absorbed in for the last many months. And I also wasn't thinking about the future and, and some angst that I've been feeling about where things are going. I realized when I was present, Michael, that I was completely peaceful. And that was that inner happiness that I was searching for. Finding my inner peace was the missing piece. And I went, oh my God, this is huge. <laughs> it's such a little thing, 
but it was huge for me. And all of a sudden I had this epiphany and I said, this is your message. Now, this is what you're going to go out on the stage and share with people. People need to understand because inner peace is really about discovering you. It's turning inward and finding that place of knowingness and awareness where you just feel completely grounded. And if you're lucky, in my case, it was a really, there was a very obvious, this is what you need to do. You love a stage, you have a voice, you have experience working in communications and media, but now your message is going to change. So if you're really lucky, it leads to your purpose. And I think when you really do turn inward and discover who you are, and that's how my platform became discovering you, you will find your purpose. And that's what this journey was about. You know, I had to go through all of these moments in my life to uncover more and more layers of myself to become more of me, not less. As as so many of us live our lives, as you say, so many of us live our lives as kind of shells of ourselves and not in the fullest expression of who we are. And I'm, I'm living proof that going through the tough stuff only makes you better. Well, and and obviously, you know, grief grief can stop somebody in their tracks. Mm-hmm. Losing somebody, whether it be unexpectedly or expect an expectation, can stop you in your tracks. And I, I grief. I, I mean, when I say this, I am by no means an expert. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physician. I'm not you know, somebody within the industry, but from my own experience and from what I've learned, you know, uh, the fact is, is grief doesn't have a time limit, but sometimes people let grief overtake their lives and it stops it. And you chose to move forward in a very positive way and, and in turn help other people with regard to that. Yeah. Um, I, I do have to, um, it, in the process of that, you were, you were kind of, uh, hit with another, another obstacle in your lifetime that showed up unexpectedly as well, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A year and a half after my, so I had had, um, I'd had some issues with my throat and I still do this. I have a little bit of a gravelly voice and it's left over from some surgery I had, but I had, um, I was chasing down, you know, some lumps in my throat and it started before my husband died. And of course, with the the medical system, I'm not sure how it is in the US, I'm in Canada, but you know, it's a five, six, seven, eight month waiting period before you get into see a specialist. And so of course, my husband passes away, this has all happened. And now I go to see a specialist. And you know, we've taken a biopsy of whatever they're they're finding in my throat. And sure enough, it's cancer. Now, I was very fortunate, again, I, I choose to see the positive. But I was fortunate in that it was thyroid cancer and thyroid cancer is typically contained. It's they, they often refer to it as a precancer. It's not usually one that spreads. So, um, you know, so my doctor said to me, you know, don't worry about it. You know, you'll have it removed. You'll have whatever treatment they, they recommend and you'll be fine. And that was the mindset I went in with it. Okay. And honestly, in light of having gotten that three o'clock AM phone call and having had to deal with the aftermath of losing my, my best friend, this was nothing. This was small potatoes. So I really didn't give it any, any weight. I just went, okay, yeah, whatever. I'll deal with it, have surgery and move on. Looking back, that is something I didn't really deal with very well. And, and again, it's going to lead into some other things that I had to deal with later. I think sometimes when you sweep things under the rug or you're too strong in some cases and you just go, okay, I've got this. It's good. You know, move on. It's not always the best course of action. I've learned that over time. But, you know, again, it it was a fairly manageable cancer. But in the space of nine months, I ended up going through two really extensive surgeries. It ends up that it was a stage four cancer. I'm still monitored to this day. 
So it's not small potatoes. You know, it is something that right. really was, it, if I put it this way, if I hadn't lost my husband, this would have been a much bigger deal in my life. But the fact that I lost my husband overnight, I just kind of gave this very little weight. It doesn't mean that I should have been going around talking about having had cancer, but it does mean that I should have really just allowed myself to feel whatever I needed to feel about what I went through, right? Because it was relatively significant. But, you know, I had three kids and they'd already been through enough. And I just thought, I don't want them to worry about mom. I'm good. I've got this. I really took a, I've got this attitude about the cancer. Right. And what all of that ended up leading to is, you know, me referring back to things that helped me in the past, even before my husband died in terms of physical fitness and nutrition, all of those remained practices in my life, but they weren't enough. I had gone down the spiritual path and I was, I was seeking more clarity and understanding. And I was going out and I was speaking about the things that I had discovered through my grief journey and everything was going along great by day. But then the nighttime comes, Michael, and the nights are really lonely. And I don't mean lonely for that necessarily having my partner beside me. Yes, that's primarily the loneliness I'm talking about. But, but the friends, everybody goes back to their life. Everybody has their own stuff mm -hmm. going on. And then you're just sitting with the weight of it all coming down on you. And I turned to wine, you know, amongst all of the good stuff that had happened in my life, you know, I mean, I'd always enjoyed wine. My husband and I enjoyed mm -hmm. wine, but now, you know, wine started becoming more of a coping mechanism for me. And now I was drinking every single night and there's no question it was to numb the loneliness and the pain. And I think just to allow myself to not be strong, you know, because I was this mm -hmm. pillar of health and strength and energy and all good by day. And it wasn't an act. I mean, truly that is my demeanor. That's who I am but it was just my way of letting myself go. And unfortunately what happened is over time, it became very habitual. It became a regular occurrence in my life. And I've only reconciled that relationship in the last year. I finally just said, I've had enough because I knew that all of the good and the learnings that I had taken away from the journey, the speaking I had done on finding my inner wisdom and, and connecting with my inner spirit and all of that. None of it was a lie. It was so truth, truthful, but I didn't feel that I could step out there and be really authentic in what I wanted to say until I was living completely authentically within myself. And it's not to say that alcohol doesn't have a place in your life. If, if I felt that I had a, I could have managed it in a more healthful way, then I would have said, fine, dial it back. There's room for everything in your life as long as it's in moderation. That's right. always been the way I've approached everything in life with respect to nutrition and fitness and all of it. But for me, I just felt if I really want to be authentic in my message, then I have to align with the things that value that I value. And alcohol doesn't fit into who I am and, and how I want to live my life moving forward. So I walked away from, I completely walked away, just one day woke up and said, I'm done. Um, and it really was that simple, but I think it was many, many years of having that conversation in my head and being ready. So, you know, it's not a linear, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's not a linear journey. Did it start with the grief? Maybe, but life is just, life is a series of ebbs and flows and you don't know what's going to come at you um, you know, from, from one day to the next. And so you have to find a way that allows you to be the best and strongest version of yourself, not a superhero in every moment of your day, but just to be, to know what those toolboxes are in your kit that you can pull out and say, this is what I need to do to kind of just to be in a place where I feel solid and good and grounded, you know? And so for me, that meant making that decision. Well, and kudos for you for doing that, because a lot of times people don't recognize that. And you've been through more 
than than a lot of people out there. Your journey with losing your husband, in lieu of of the fact that you had such a connection, you know the significance of losing your partner, your best friend, your soulmate like that, and abruptly you didn't get the opportunity to say goodbye. Really, it it weighs heavily upon you, and it would weigh heavily upon anybody. It, yeah. You had a lot of strength. Having to keep up your appearance um, with everybody it is difficult. A shoulder, you know, difficult to hold on your shoulders. Um, but recognizing it, obviously, is a very Im- important factor because using something as a crutch temporarily sometimes works as long as it, it can get you over the bump. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying that go out and you know yes go to alcohol yes go to drugs yes to go to but sometimes you have to have a little help to kind of manage until you realize that i don't need that help anymore right right and i i'll tell you i think when i start and again everything goes full circle you and i talked earlier about how my husband and i used to make the time for each other we always we we instilled that value of communication the communication we had in our relationship that was instilled into our kids. And so that has transferred over into my relationship with my girls since his passing. And that is kind of the overarching golden rule in our home that we talk about everything, whether it's an easy conversation or not, we're going to have it. And I can't tell you how many times my girls sat me down to have the conversation about what are you doing, mom? You've got it so together. Like they would literally say to me, we are so um, proud of you and your strength and and all of the lessons you've taken with you on this journey and what you want to do with your life because of all of these things you've learned. We don't understand how you flip a switch at night. And I remember when they said that, I said, you know what? I don't understand it either. And that's when I said, I'm done. There's just no place for this in my life because I don't. it doesn't even align with anything about the rest of me. It's that one piece. It's like that one dark cloud in my life that I got to, I have full control out of stepping, mm-hmm. you know, stepping out of under, underneath or getting out from under and and now living the life that I really want to live. So communication was something that we fostered in our family really early on because of our relationship. It's carried through and I think it's a wonderful thing. I you know my girls and I talk about this all the time. I think it's going to transfer over into how they view relationships and what they look for for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's also going to transfer over my journey and what we've been through is going to um, it's not going to. I know it already does. You know, they're very conscious about their own drinking and how they approach alcohol because of what they've observed in their mom. And that's okay. It's not a bad thing. So for as much as I'm sorry for having created situations at times where they felt where it didn't feel stable in the home, it was never um, dangerous, but I mean, they just, they need someone who's on and I wasn't on for them a lot. And that created an unstable environment at times and a place where maybe they didn't feel like coming home to some nights. And as much as I can't turn the clock back on that, if it makes them aware of their own behavior on alcohol, then something good came of it. And um, yeah, so I mean, everything and it, my girls choose to see things the way I have chosen to see things is to find the good in it, right? Because it's not always easy. Right. You can focus on the negative. It's a choice. Or you can focus on the positive and find the silver lining in the situation. And what's the good in it? What can I learn from this? What's the takeaway? Because it's going to make you grow. Well, I, I agree. And I think the really important thing that you had said, communication, communication is the key mm-hmm. to understanding and to compassion and to empathy. Yeah. 
And um, unfortunately, a lot of families have lost the communication skill, but you were fortunate enough to have that and to build that within your system. Yeah. Um, and it's not easy. You know, I always say this communication, sometimes the conversations aren't easy, but if you respect each other enough, you'll have them and you'll listen because half of communication is listening. And believe me, I was on the receiving end of being spoken to many times and I right. just had to listen and take it. But I knew that I knew that the place it was coming from was a place of love. And if you know that, if you know it's coming from a place of love, then why why wouldn't you listen? Oh, exactly. 100%. Um, you had supportive family and friends through through your both of your ordeals, correct? Yes. Well, all three actually, if you if you count that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely supportive family friends. I mean, and I, it's interesting you you asked that question going back to the the first <laughs> the first episode, um, losing my husband. I remember my mom said to me, I've never seen someone so supported. She said, you have a network of friends like no one I've ever seen before. And because my husband died in China and there was, you know, it was about a week or so before we got his body home and I wanted him autopsied in Toronto, not in China. So there was a lag until his funeral. And I remember many nights not being able to sleep thinking, you know, if somebody was sitting here with me, you know, I would, this, these are all the things I would be saying about him to that person. And then I realized you have an opportunity to do this. You have an opportunity to say everything you want to say about him at his funeral. And I got up to speak and there were standing room only. So probably 800 people and you could hear a pin drop. And I remember hearing my husband's voice in my head, Michael saying, oh, aren't you just in your element right now? Of course, knowing that I like a stage, but it wasn't that at all. It was truly an opportunity to honor someone who I think gave so much, hence, you know, the, the standing room only. People flew in from Europe. People flew in from everywhere because wow. they loved him that much. And I said two things. I said, when you think of Mike, what do you, what do you do? And everybody smiled. I'm like, that's right. You smile because first of all, he was quirky, as I told you. Um, but I said, and you honor him with your time. Don't cry. Just honor him with a memory. Give him time and think about him. Because when you were with him, that's exactly how he made you feel. Like you were the only person in the room. And that's what we did for each other in our relationship. We gave each other time. And we gave each other the floor. And we gave each other space to speak and to receive. And so creating that, fostering that in your home, and then transferring that to my kids, it's transferred over into every other relationship and every other situation I've been in. And that's why I feel it's so valuable to use my voice and share this with people um, to inspire, but also, you know, and again, you know, you have to pick your audience and pick your message. And so I always go back to that girl before she went through all of these things, who was restless and looking for that thing that was missing, that missing piece. And I coined myself the midlife wife, you know, struggling with who am I, what is my purpose? And I feel like that is the people that I really want to speak to, even though as we're doing right here on your podcast, I could be speaking to grief groups. I could be inspiring people to know that there is light and there is a lesson, you know, in the journey. I could be speaking, my message is universal, really. Um, but I think, you know, regardless of whether you go through pivotal life moments and changes and, and the really hard stuff, because I know people and I have friends and I don't judge. I know people who haven't been through a whole lot of hard stuff at all. I don't envy them because they haven't grown the way I've grown, but no matter what, they're still restless. They still struggle with whether it's the empty nest or boredom or whatever it is. People struggle. Life is always just a challenge, right? And we're 
always, fundamentally, all of us, no matter what we go through or what gets us to that point, Michael, everybody's searching for their purpose. What is their purpose? What is the bigger meaning in this lifetime? Because you weren't always a wife. You weren't always a parent. You weren't, you know, you, you, you came onto this, into this lifetime with a purpose. And so if you are blessed enough to be able to figure out what that is in your lifetime and honor it and do something great with it, that is living. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And I think that sometimes we, we go into what we think is our purpose and we do well at it. Sometimes we don't do well, but most of the time we do well at it. But then when you finally reach that pinnacle where you say, hey, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing, it brings inner peace. And, and that's inner the goal. happiness. That's the goal. And that's a goal. That's very, goal. That's very positive. You have a gift, and that gift you you share with other people. So, um, I think the journey into getting where you're at today, and what you provide to people, and what you help with people, has been a tough one. It's been a, it's been a long one, you know. In regard to, I mean, man, I, still again, everything that you've been through is. It, if you look at it from the outside. I, I, from the inside, you're going, well, yeah, I got through this and I got through that and I got through this. But somebody looking from the outside goes, wow, you, that was, that's a lot. You know, especially with your husband dying overseas. Yeah. That in itself is an issue because they're overseas. And it brings a whole new set of problems that come in. So creating or reinventing yourself into what your purpose is, it was a very defining journey, yeah. I, I think. From Absolutely. what I can see. Absolutely. Yeah. Um the in the within that journey, you discovered a few things. One, uh, you talk about in a I think you were contributing to a book called The Inner Voice. Uh, it's called Ignite Your Inner Spirit. Ignite Your Inner Spirit. Yeah. Okay. You're very welcome. And that's and that's you know what? I mean, that was that was one of those universal synchronicities opening up a door for me because really that is what happened on my journey. You know, I ignited my inner spirit. And so when this opportunity came along to be a contributing author in this book, the beautiful thing was it was such an easy yes for me because I already had the story, as I mentioned to you, you know, I had started out after my, you know, early on in the journey, going out and doing some keynotes and speaking. So I already had the story. I just had to refine it for this book. Um, and it was a beautiful opportunity to be associated with a group of 34 other authors who all have had life-changing moments where they connected to something bigger than themselves and it transformed their lives and it revealed a lot of growth opportunities for them. So it was really great to be among people like that. There was a great sense of community and it was a great way to take weave those threads of my story. And I start my story speaking about singing in my parents' basement and being raised in a home with music and loving music and seeing myself as, you know, a Barbara Streisand or an Olivia Newton-John on the stage, you know, um, not knowing what it, what it was about that that really resonated with me. And then, of course, you know, having a career that allowed me to be on a stage and then having a, a second career, as I do now, that allows me to have a stage and a platform. So, you know, it's, it's all been good. I, I love the whole full circle thing. And I think, you know, I had an interesting um, experience speaking with someone recently too about the seasons of life. And I said, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, in those early growth years in the spring season of our life, you know, once we hit winter, it's all over. You have opportunities to reinvent yourself again and again. And that's what I'm doing now, which is amazing. 
Was it, yeah, and, you, and you're more than a di- are you still a dietitian, correct? I'm not actually. No, I don't practice anymore as a dietitian. No. But you you are a coach, and you I, I here's what I like about it's going to sound strange. Here's what I like about the fact of what you coach because you you coach people into the mind, the body, and the soul, which I wholeheartedly believe in. You have to have balance between your mind, your body, and your soul yes. in order for your life to move forward in a very positive way, to live your life in a very positive way, and to listen to your inner voice and do what makes you happy. And, and that's kind of what you teach. That's mm-hmm. kind of what you you kind of uh, help people learn, correct? Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely all connected. There's no question. Um, and I, I don't think you can have one without the other. I think you can go through periods of your life thinking that as long as I'm physically strong and I'm eating all the right things, I'm good. But at some point, one thing catches up with another. And there really is, if you, if you look at the science, honestly, if you look at the science, I mean, you know, if you're not mentally well or if you're spiritually really struggling, then you are, you're, it's, it's going to show up in some way stressful way and that's going to affect your physical well-being so they really are all interconnected um it's a trilogy and you'll get there i'm just hoping to help you get there sooner that's all see and, and it, 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 this works because once you reach that once you reach that point in your life and i can attest to this myself i can i can i can wholeheartedly tell you and i've said it numerous times you know, I've done over a hundred podcast episodes, and I've talked to a lot of people in regard to inner voice, into into understanding mind, body, soul, into connecting with that. You know, once you get to that point, I can tell you, as an individual that has, it is it is an extremely relaxing, content feeling in your body, yeah. in your mind, in your soul. Connect in such a way that everything balances and when you have balance you sleep better you eat better you enjoy what you eat you enjoy what's around you you go out like on the back patio you can understand and listen to the birds and the hummingbirds that come up in front of your face and you know the grass and the trees it's an amazing experience it is. And again, it goes back to what we spoke about. It's that the most profound and meaningful moments in life are the simplest ones. And like I did, a lot of people will look at that and say, yeah, yeah. And, and don't give it the credit it deserves, but they'll, everybody will get there. And, and so I just wish this for everybody. I'd like to help people who want to find that for themselves, find it. That's my mission in life. Because if, if I could help people live a life that allows them to live with awareness and knowingness and presence, then that's putting them on a trajectory towards living happier, healthier lives. And that's all we want. That's what everybody wants. I I agree. What's the importance of uh, practicing gratitude? I don't oh think my that goodness. a lot of people do enough of that. You know, and then again, that's something that I think is so overlooked. And that was something that was so that again was just such um, such an awakening for me. That was because I was feeling such gratitude, you know, in those early moments. And it's been probably my 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 beacon, my guiding light, my guiding force. It's the thing that I gravitate to always, and without any effort anymore. It's just there for me. I think the biggest piece of advice I would give people about gratitude: we are, as you say, grateful for nature and for our health and for all the obvious things, for family, for all the good. But I think in a situation where there's darkness and you can find a silver lining, in other words, you can find the gratitude in that situation, 
that's when you're really growing. That's when you're really experiencing what it means to open up your heart because you're operating from a place of love. And so to me, the value and gratitude comes from finding gratitude in those not so obvious moments. It's interesting. It's a nice perspective, I think. Um, how important is it to take the time with the ones that you love? Oh, <laughs> see, I, I thought I was going to get through this without crying. <laughs> um, I always have at least one question that'll get, get yeah. some tears. It's okay. Well, here's what I would say from my own experience. Well, I, you know, because I've been through what I've been through, I, I relish every moment I can get um, with those that I love. And those that I love are my completely nuclear immediate family. I mean, my daughters are my everything. But at the same time, I'm also very, very open to them spreading their wings and living their lives. I have one who happens to be living in another province right now. Um, I have one that's a world traveler. So as soon as the world, she was traveling before COVID and as soon as things open up, she'll be gone again. You know, and that's fine. I want them to live their lives. And of course, social media makes life a lot easier to to get close um, very quickly. But it's it's you can't bring that time back. But I think what I would say, or you can't turn back the clock on those people and those relationships once they're gone. However, in my case, I would only say one thing. I mean, your podcast is called One More Thing Before You Go. And what is that one more thing you would say? I only have one thing that I would say, and that is something I said over and over and over again in our relationship, and that is thank you. Thank you for being as invested as you were in our relationship. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for being present. Thank you for teaching me all the things that were important because they were transferred over to me. Thank you for being my best friend. But in terms of things left unsaid, we didn't have that because communication was always key in our relationship. So there was nothing left unsaid. And I'm so, so grateful for that. That's a gift. That a is gift. a huge That's really gift a because gift. a lot of people can't say that. So, you know, the, the importance of spending time, I think as long as, you know, um, when I was actually putting this podcast on my own social media today, um, I said, you know, goodbyes are never easy. And a lot of times goodbyes aren't expected, as in the case of my own. But as long as we say what's in our heart when we're saying goodbye, then we're leaving our mark. We're leaving our imprint. So just remember to say whatever's in your heart. So even now, if I'm with a friend having a visit or a coffee or with my kids, I just came back from visiting my daughter who's living in British Columbia, you know, and I just told her all the things I'm thankful for and grateful for, for the time that we had together. I, I, I highlighted specific things that I loved about the time we spent together. So that, that'll stay in her mind. So I think it's really important to just be really specific, not just a very blank thank you. What are you thankful for? You know, what are you thankful for? Tell them, tell that person. That's important. Yeah. I, I really, that's really important. Um, with everything that you've gone through, do you think it gives you a deeper understanding of life and death? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I feel that I have... Um, Maybe advantage is the wrong word here, Michael, but I definitely feel, again, I, I feel um, blessed because I felt that connection, that really deep connection after my husband died. I still felt a connection to his energy, to his spirit. And we didn't even get into this on the podcast and we don't need to. It's actually in my book, in my chapter, um, if somebody wants to, to read the book. But there were definitely incidences following you know, his passing where I could feel spirit at work in my life and whether it was his or not, I don't know. But um I've always believed two things. I've always believed that when it's your time, it's your time. 
And so, and I, and I could feel that I, I could see it coming. So again, like I said, that phone call, it was devastating, but it wasn't a complete shock. Um, and I think death is, it, it, I don't think death is a part of life. It's part of the cycle. And I don't feel based on my own experiences that we're ever really gone. I still have moments all the time where, you know, someone might say, well, it's just your own voice in your own head, Lydia, but it, it comes at me so quickly before I even have time to form a thought that I know it's not my voice that's in my head. And so the connection lives on and it's just, it's just part of the life cycle. I don't know why people fear it or, um, grieve it so much because it's, I, I, and I do, I've had firsthand experience through my connections to know that there's so much more waiting beyond that's, that's beautiful beyond what we could ever imagine here. So all of this has changed your perspective on spirituality? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was always, you know, I, I was raised Christian Catholic. Um, I've always believed in something bigger than myself, but my spiritual awareness is so much greater for this experience. And for that, I'm so grateful. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting. I'm, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who uh, grew up Catholic and have, have enlightened into a different arena. 100%. I'm, I'm a, I, I grew up Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic. Myself all, neither. I am, but I'm very spiritual. And mm -hmm. I believe in the connection with the universe and yeah. the fact that uh, there's more to it and the energy that moves around can be positive or it could be negative. And you help people move that energy in a positive way, which is a really good thing. I hope so. Um, and you do that in your coaching business as well as you know, with the book. What is the the thing that you miss about your husband the most? Ah, I would have said, um, I would have, I would have said his wisdom. Definitely in the beginning, that was the thing I, I missed the most. I miss sitting down and having those conversations, the two of us, and just his wise perspective. I kind of feel like I'm finally at a point in my life where I have that wisdom too. And I always know in a moment where I feel like I'm not, I don't have it. I'll, that's when I'll hear the voice and he'll say, I'm right here. And I know, and I know exactly what he would say. So therefore, whether it's his energy speaking to me or whether it's that connection, that soul connection that we've always had. So I just know <laughs> by 25 years of osmosis, it's, it's part of me. Um, yeah, but it would be the wisdom for sure. And the quirky sense of humor. But you know what? I get to see all of those, those character traits in my kids too. So they're always there. It's always, uh, it's, uh, legacies live on. Yeah. Legacies live on. Yeah. If someone wants to get in touch with you, I know that you have a website you, for your coaching practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you tell us how they can get a hold of you and how they can find the book? Absolutely. Yes. And thank you. My website is www.lydianor.com. And on my website, you can also follow me, my social media links on Instagram and on Facebook. My book is for sale on the website. If you want to buy it, I'll sign a copy for you. If not, you can buy it on Amazon as well. The book is called Ignite Your Inner Spirit. And I really highly recommend it. I'll, I got to tell you, my jaw was on the floor reading some of the stories of my, my co-authors. People live outstanding lives and the transformations that people can realize in their lifetimes is beautiful. So I was, you know, my story is inspiring, but I was so inspired by some of the other stories in the book. I think it's a great read. It had wonderful reviews. Um, yeah. So on my website and via my social media channels, you can find me, contact me, see what my workshops are that I offer, get in touch um, and buy my book, any or all, or just drop me a line and say, hello. You can also drop into my newsletter. I have a monthly newsletter um, that I share with my followers. So 
any one of those ways that you want to get in touch with me are all available on my website. That'd be fantastic. And I'll have those in the show notes for everybody so that uh, you can make easy access to getting in contact with you, um, Lydia. Thank you. And this is one more thing before you go. So Mm -hmm. is there any words of wisdom that you'd like to share Mm -hmm. before we go? Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. And if you can find the lesson in it and the growth opportunity, then you'll know there were no mistakes. I think that's what I would say. Outstanding words of wisdom. Thank you. Lydia, thank you for sharing your journey. I really appreciate you coming coming on the show and uh, sharing your experiences and your life obstacles and overcoming them in such a positive way. Thank you thank so you. much. It was such a pleasure speaking with you today, Michael. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.